the other kind of radio the other kind of radio radio the other kind of radio Recorded live from the studios here in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to the podcast known as The Other Kind Radio. Talk radio. Today is June 15th, and this is episode 990. We are 10 away from 100. And I can't tell the kind listener who is listening right now how freaking flipping excited I am about that. 90. The Other Kind Radio is a weekly podcast in which Todd and Jeff ping pong around all things pop culture and deliver to you, the kind listener. My name is Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. Todd will be on shortly. Hello, Twitch. We're streaming live on Twitch. If you want to watch us on Twitch right now, you can go to twitch.tv forward slash hectos, H-E-C-T-O-S. Or if you want to watch one of the past broadcasts, you can. Uh... For the audio files out there, I do have my fan on low in the studio, which you may hear in the background. I apologize, but it is warm, and uh, I don't want to get too sweaty making the podcast because I mean we're streaming live on Twitch. I gotta, I gotta keep some type of appearance up. So uh, join us on Twitch. Uh, I'm going to start posting, since we've got a few of these uh, in the can, so to speak, I'm going to start posting and announcing when we're going to stream live, uh, so you guys have a little bit of heads up. But we are live on Twitch now. If you're a yeah. we watched Jersey Boys last night, so for some reason I feel like if I misspeak, I can sing my way out of it. If you are a returning kind listener... Welcome back to the program. We hope you're safe practicing social distancing and being kind to others. Being kind to others is very important right now. So uh, take some time, be nice, stay safe. For those of you wondering why yet in another week uh, of episode of The Other Kind Radio, why I may be tripping on my words, I made a mistake last night and took some NyQuil sleeping stuff to help go to sleep and that stuff like sits in my brain for a long time so i'm halfway awake (laughs) which could make the show better uh first time listeners are congratulated on finding us among the plethora of podcasts out there todd and i are glad you're here we would love to hear how you found out about the other kind radio so feel free to do so by emailing us at info at the other kind radio.com. That's I N F O at the other kind radio.com or, and y'all are still being shy. Uh, it's, it's such an interesting, um, situation. People are calling the, vo- the phone line to leave a voicemail, but nobody's leaving a message. So uh, I w- please call us up. Tell us, whatever you want read something to us whatever whatever you feel like doing just do it uh there isn't any kind of like caller id or anything so you can call and do whatever you want and we'll just listen to the audio you can do so by dialing 214-843-1149 that's 214-843-1149 that is the other kind radio i guess we'll call it the hotline all right 
For those of you listening on podcast software, we encourage all of you to like, subscribe to The Other Kind Radio. Uh, By doing so, you are helping us feed the algorithm that keeps the podcast universe spinning and our show in its gravitational pull. Quick note here, this episode of The Other Kind Radio is brought to you by Pub134. Located in Maple Village at 90th and Maple, right here in Omaha, Pub134 is now open. Their hours are returning to normal. They have some social distancing practices in place. Um, Nick and his talented crew would love to see you. And uh, they're starting a Wednesday Bags League. Bags is also known as Cornhole, which... Okay, but basically it's the game where you have the two opposing... It's like horseshoes, but with a ramp with a hole in it. There you go. Wednesday leagues are starting up soon. Uh, I've been invited to be a part of the league. However, I have no friends, therefore have no one to sign up. I know if Todd lived in Omaha, he he might be on a team with me. Uh, it's supposed to be a lot of fun. And hey, if, if you, uh, you want to be in the Pub 134 bags league and you need a partner drop us a line info at the other kind radio.com info at the other kind radio.com i'll be on your team i'm not scared we do appreciate pub 134 sponsoring this episode of the other kind radio stop on down like i said 90th and maple right here in omaha say hello to nick pub 134 go there say hi tell them the other kind radio sent you All right. This week on The Other Kind Radio, we're going to forego Todd's take on and Jeff's judgment on. We are going to talk about uh, some headlines, but on center stage, it's the other, it's the king, of, <laughs> the king of Staten Island, Judd Apatow's latest film, uh, which hit what they're calling VOD, Video On Demand, this past Friday. Uh, Todd and I both watched it. We have some thoughts about it, and it's been in the headlines, so... Uh, that's what we're going to talk about this week. Now that I've been bla- blabbering for, I'm trying to see how long I've been on. I'm looking at this streaming software. Where does it say total time? Eight minutes and 13. Wow, okay, I'm averaging about eight. Let me shut up and bring to the um, podcast my very talented podcast partner, Todd. Uh, in case you're wondering, you know, who is this Todd guy? What's all about him? I've written a little bit of a bio about him, and let's go ahead and get that to you now. He is a family generator, movie maker, guitar and drum player, book author, dive bar boombox founder, and all-around renaissance man, live from his studio in the great state of Texas, and delivering the top, <laughs> the top, and delivering the pop culture significance of the number 90. Let's welcome Todd. <laughs> I can't take my eyes off of you. <laughs> See, whenever you were stumbling around on my intro, I thought I would go do your whole thing, which is going back to the Four Seasons and singing a little bit for you. Uh, in, in the pre-pro, Jeff and I talked about that. He always, Jeff loves to come tell me, hey, I saw this movie. And in a second, I want to know what actually compelled you to watch a musical. That I find always fascinating. But for those of us that are theater nuts, I actually told him the movie's a little bit flat. If you, if you ever want to see a musical that is not just a typical musical where you're like, oh my God, they're emoting. These guys are actually singing the songs or made famous by this 
groundbreaking group. Go see Jersey Boys because I tell Jeff, I don't really care for jukebox musicals, which brought about a series of laughs while we did pre-pro as well. But jukebox musical, meaning that all they do is take the catalog of songs. It's what Mamma Mia is. It's ABBA songs with a story constructed around it. Jersey Boys is the exception. Great stage musical. Okay, movie. What compelled you to watch that movie, Jeff? Um, I think we were just... So, uh, so that's actually nice for you to ask that. So, uh, Luke and I watched Jaws yesterday. Oh, what do you think? Oh, he loved it. He thought it was great. I had to, I had to set a few things up. So, you know, he, he didn't get too freaked out. Like one of the things I did when I was a kid, if I saw a scary movie was like, like the shining, like, you know, that took place in a hotel and mm-hmm. I don't live in a hotel at that point in my life. I wasn't. Going, I was in sixth grade. I wasn't like going and staying in a hotel. So I took the risk factor of having Jack Nicholson show up and try and chop us up to way low. So I kind of did the same thing for Luke. Where I was like, you know, this t- takes place in the ocean and blah, 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 and at a beach. And there's no beaches around here, at least not like there is in the movie. And it was kind of fun to see when in the city scenes, let them know that you had been there and walked around and everything. It's a great film. Um, we were going to watch, we were going to follow it up with Jaws 2, but then we saw that Spielberg didn't direct that and it's awful. And the trailer for it, I think, I think is about the same runtime as the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... It, we had some friends over when that came out. We watched it with them, and my friend jokingly said, "So, you're gonna tell us how great Jaws Two is?" I was like, "No, I'm gonna tell you how to avoid it and how they just sequentially get worse." It is, man, that's a mess of a movie. That is, that is studio greed at a perfect example of why you should not make sequels if you don't have a story to tell. <laughs> So, number 90. We're at 90. Congratulations, Jeff. Yeah, congratulations to you. So, the number 90, can everyone say it with me? It's a natural number preceded by 89 and followed by 91. (laughs) But the great people at Wikipedia gave me some great things that I can't wait to share. So We should have Wikipedia on someday. We should. I, I mean, have you ever seen the person Wikipedia? Yeah. I was walking down the street the other day and was like, there's Wikipedia. That may be the most irreverent thing that I think you've ever said. Um, <laughs> the number 90 is a parent number. Would you like to guess what a parent number is? It's a number that has kids. Damn, Jeff, you're on fire today. <laughs> so I, I love to pull out these because I look and I think, who sits around and thinks, let's call this a parent number, and why is this important? So I want to go into this. It's a parent number preceded in the sequence. Are you ready for this? The yes. number 90 is preceded in the sequence by 39, 51, and 68. Right away, you're like, okay, how are any of those numbers relative and why do I need them? So then I thought, I need to know this. I click on a parent number and and it says in mathematics, the parent numbers are defined by the reoccurrence relation of PN equal PN plus uh, a negative two plus PN (laughs) negative three or N greater than two with initial values. And I'm like, uh, no one thinks like this. (laughs) <laughs> so there's the number 90 in the mathematics world, but there are quite a few things let's have some fun with in major league baseball. How do you think the number 90 relates to number and major league baseball? That's the number of outs you need to win a game. It is the number of feet between bases. Oh, damn it. Sometimes it's it feels not- like it's 90 outs. 
Now, it, now I've upset all of the baseball fans out there. That's it's funny because I have in my, and this is jumping ahead something that's in Staten uh, King of Staten Island. As I've gotten older, the more I've appreciated baseball and how long it takes. And there's, there's somebody in this says, I'm an old man. I like baseball. I kind of feel that way, but there are times where you're like, Oh dear God, could this game be over? Right. For our lovely friend and family member of the other kind of radio, Steve. Yes. Superstar Steve. The car number most associated with former NASCAR team owner, Junie Don, Don Labby is the number 90. All right. Now let's get into some other fun things. 1990. Uh, very much a, you know, that's, uh, we're talking, I would have been, uh, what, what about 24 at the time? So very much that coming of age. I think I was starting to fall in love with the woman that would be my wife. Um, so a lot of these things are present of mind. Okay. The one that right away on my page. What do you think the number one toy was of 1990, Jeff? Transformers. <laughs> I have a feeling Transformers is going to be our answer for everything. <laughs> Furbies. Do you remember Furbies? Furbies. I thought you said herpes for a second there. As a matter of fact, every parent went out to get their child herpes. It crawls around. It's on the ground. Dun, dun, dun. Herpes. Uh, I do remember Furbies. Furbies were um, like a little creature, but they had some kind of uh, technology tied to them, right? Yeah mechanized of sorts and they uh, were kind of you look at them now you're kind of like oh, those are creepy but as i'm going through there are some cool things here the nintendo game boy came out that year so nice. that's a huge thing did you have a game boy no no it was never my thing either um <laughs> <laughs> new kids on the block were huge and so their play set was out and what i'm immediately taken by besides the fact that jeff is dancing when i mentioned new kids on the block is the new kids on the block figures come with instruments. Yeah, but they never play instruments. They never play anything. We've got a drummer, we got a keyboardist, and two guitarists. Now, there's one guy that all he gets is a mic, so apparently that's all he can do is sing. I'm a little taken by that. But the, the last of the toys I just have to mention, and I'd never seen this before, but I want to describe it to you. Okay. I'm going to tell you the name after I describe it. All right, I've closed my eyes. This life-size 32-inch doll walks Whoa. with you. She wears a stylish, stylish, I, ah, but me, uh, I can dream about you. <laughs> she wears a stylish outfit and shoes. Vinyl head with rooted acetate hair and moving eyes. Polythene body, arms, and legs known as the Wispy Walker. Is that not the sh- of nightmares? That's a toy? It's a toy, and I wish, I, I wish that... Uh, I was smart enough to share out an image right now. So the, at least the people on Twitch could see like, it, has can a Google it already needs to be slapped um, being very perky and <laughs> with her weird doll, which has a <laughs> mane of hair around it. That is probably only about seven inches shorter than she is. When this and is life sized, how, how big did you say it was? 32 inches. So, so oh, almost okay. three. It, I'd never heard of this, but when I saw this image, I thought, you know, if they hadn't already made the Chucky movies, this would definitely be something someone would look at and say, this is a horror movie. Reminds me a little bit of Teddy Ruxpin. I don't know what year Teddy Ruxpin came out. I can look that up, but it was like, I'm Teddy Ruxpin. Can we be friends? And his eyes would blink like completely independent of whatever he was saying. Yeah, I, I totally remember that. And that was just completely terrifying. Um, 
pop culture significant things that came out as far as what we usually talk about. Let's see, musicians of that era, Tears for Fears, Bon Jovi with Blaze of Glory. I do believe that may be the worst music experience of my life ever hearing that song for the first time. Um, it says the Blues Brothers were hot in 1990. I don't really guess I remember that, but Phil Collins, Vanilla Ice, Danny Minogue, the B-52s. Um, there was one note, this was the year, and now I can't find it, but this was the year that Millie Vanilli got exposed for just being two guys lip syncing. Oh, boy. You want to talk about a major point in pop culture well, relevancy. Don't to this day is brought up. Yeah, and, and, and we're a bit of a joke and a punchline that you could pull out until I think they had a little bit of a uh, documentary. I don't know how you have a little bit of a documentary. That's silly, Jeff. They had a documentary come out. And one of the guys from Millie Vanilli, I can't remember if it was Millie or, Vin, Millie or Billy Vanilli. Uh, the, <laughs> it, this is, I see I'm joking here. He kills himself. He he, he, he he committed suicide because of everything that was going on. Oh my uh, God, I didn't know that. Uh, let, me, uh, let me throw off the kind listener by completely throwing it from first to reverse. In 1985, 1986, Tutty Rexpin, uh, if you wanted to, uh, can we be friends? Sixty nine ninety nine for the doll. The cassette, which Teddy Ruxpin without the cassette was, it's kind of like Teddy Ruxpin without a head. An additional twenty dollars. So with tax, uh, that Teddy Ruxpin going to run you a hundred dollar back in uh, eighty five. And I'm I'm not real good at math, but I think that's right around close to about like twenty five thousand dollars with inflation today. Well, especially when you consider that the Wispy Walker was only twenty two ninety nine. Yeah, but I think anything, any product with the word Wispy in it already gets a pretty big discount. Well, I was going to say, and, and look, you know, this is a child's toy, but if, if we were a more of a blue podcast, I would say some very disparaging things about what the evolution of that doll became. Because you look at it, it's like it's very uncomfortable well i don't i don't want you to feel alone because for a while there while you were reading the description i thought you were describing a sex doll that's i that's why i asked how big it was because it sounds like whoever invented the the sex doll just took that and made a few changes that's honestly okay so look it is it is it the size of a child yes but it, it it the thing that's uncomfortable about it is it has very mature hair and you start looking it's like a little adult right. and all i think was somebody went well wow, teddy rexman's really hot and i tried to make this um uh, <laughs> this was the prototype smaller version of the adult sex doll i'm making so it just looks like a kid it's gross it really is like creepy looking i mean go look it up and you'll even go that's uncomfortable i'll look it up uh while we're on the subject of of that um <laughs> Oh, so great. We're going to talk about sex dolls. <laughs> um, oh, man. There was something about Teddy Ruxpin, and then uh, you mentioned that. Oh, I might have lost it. My old brain might have let it go. Uh, kind listener, just know that, that was it was very funny and very tasteful, what I was going to say. I will uh, say this. I went to Google and searched Wispy, Wispy Walker. Thank God they apparently eventually revised this doll because it's the current ones, and apparently not they still make it because wispy walker box opening there's a young lady holding it and it looks more like a doll so thank god somebody went and said let's make this look more like a doll yeah i see what you're talking about and it actually walks which makes it even more creepier um that 90s picture that i, I don't immediately see when i'm on google when i searched it 
that is kind of wrong. The the hair is too adult and too big. Yeah. Just kind of gross. Anyway, let me finish off a couple more yes, things. Yes, please. Uh, popular films are there. Home Alone, Ghost, Dances with Wolves, which would go on to win the Academy Award over Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas. So once again, proving my theory that the Academy Awards are full of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Hunt for Red October. Edward Scissorhands, The Godfather Part 3, which is good for everything except for when Sofia Coppola's in it. The big one that I have to mention there is Pretty Woman because that would be the first movie that I ever took my future wife to see. So once again, showing that this is the era when we began dating. Um, Real quick, I I have some trivia about that movie. Uh, Pretty Woman, original working title. $3,000. Wispy Walker. I got Todd. I got him. I got him. Oh. <laughs> and even Roy Orbison got involved. Wispy Walker. Walk. He just like couldn't do Walker twice. Wispy Walker walking down the street. You know, he's like, it's, it's a bit repetitive. Uh, repetitive. I don't know what accent Roy Orbison had. Was he? He was American, right? Yeah, he's American. Okay. And you're funny. All right. All right. So the funny thing is, is I was going to try and tie that into once again, the things of my era, because also a huge cultural point at this era. And this is the last thing I'll mention. Twin Peaks comes out on television. This was the, this was the final thing that made me turn to my soon to be wife and say, I think I want to change my major from music and go to film school. And it was because of Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks was the final thing that made me go, I want to do that. And here's the funny thing. Then when I go to film school, do you know who my directing teacher was? David Lynch. Yes. Um, it was a guy, you'll, this name you'll never know, Walter Von Huny, but he was the second unit director on Pretty Woman, a close friend oh. of Gary Markle's. He had been um, stage director for Happy Days for years. In fact, if you watch the original open and you ever see in Happy Days where some kids, there's a convertible top that somebody pulls off and it's like somebody, the girl's wig gets caught on it and they're all laughing. Well, he's the guy in the driver's seat laughing mm. at her. Walter uh, used Pretty Woman to teach us how films can evolve and how to shoot things since he had been a part of it. So Pretty Woman, even though I don't really care for it, (laughs) I know more about that movie than I probably ever need to know. Are you still in contact with him? I don't even know if Walter's still alive. Um, He's a very odd dude, um, but I will tell you, taught me a ton. And I think it's almost like you want to learn from the masters, but there's something about the guy that is given the task of, Hey, go shoot all the things that actually stitch a film together. Right. Start going, wow. I kind of understand film in a way I didn't before. He, he was, a, he was a really interesting teacher. And of course he started shooting something with, uh, Henry Winkler, um, something about a cop cop and a half or something like that. Bonds cop. And, you know, uh, one of my, one of my fellow students went to work with him on it. Um, but he would, in the middle of it, he'd go, uh, hey, hey, hang on guys. It's Henry calling and he'd go, Hey, Henry, say hello to the kids. And you'd hear Henry Winkle go, Hey everybody. Nice. And, he'd call, and I'm like, quit big time and be bitch. Flexing. Kids call that flexing these days. Yeah. And Jeff threw out the flexing on me too. So I should know that. Um, anyway, that's, that's the number 90. That's where we are. Wow. There's so many questions I have, but. I think I've forgotten all of them. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. I, I So, yeah. So, Pretty Woman, that was a huge movie. That was Julia Roberts kind of coming out film. Richard Gere showed off that he had gray hair but could look handsome. Then you had the famous uh, 
sex scene in the piano or semi-sex scene in the piano. Um, what else did you get from that? Oh, uh, what's his face from Seinfeld was in it and plays a real jerk. Right. That was the, the fun part about that was, is that's what Walter did with us right away, because that's the reason when you asked what the name it was, I thought you were really asking it was $3,000 and it was originally a very hard hitting film. Oh, brought in the script and said, this is, does anybody know what this was? Well, this was before the time of the internet. And you know, I didn't know. Right. It was like $3,000. I don't know what this is. And then that's when he taught us what log lines are, where, you know, knowing this is what, how I'm pitching a script. This is the log line. This is what I'm telling you. It's about it. So it's two or three sentences to tell you, uh, went through and he's like, does anybody know? And somebody, I forget you know who, but I just remember somebody going, it, it, was it like pretty woman? He said, this is pretty woman. Oh, what happens when Gary Marshall, who has a very or had a very sweet sensibility about him, gets a script and goes, we're going to change this. And so it was a very interesting thing. And, and, and as a side note, I did look up, Walter's IMDb page, and it does not say that he's no longer with us, but his last credit was 2003. And I will tell you also, they have, I actually know, I'm sorry, he worked on, he most recently worked on the, the last Terminator as Mr. Schwarzenegger's assistant. Apparently, he's an assistant to Arnold Schwarzenegger now. Wow. So, oh, they met on Batman and Robin. Wow. <laughs> five years after I go to school, but. He's no longer directing his stuff, but he's working with him. That's pretty interesting. Um, they, the picture they have of him on there is not Walter. I don't know who that is. <laughs> All right. Well, there's your uh, significance of uh, the number 90 when it comes to pop culture. Very well done. Very well. well. Kids, just give Todd some love there. There we go. Um, speaking of pretty and speaking of uh, looking different, um, probably the biggest event that took place this past week for the video gamer. And I know I just gave tired head to a portion of our other kind uh, radio audience, but just bear with us here for uh, today, um, today, this past week, um, Sony's PlayStation 5 was revealed. Uh, I know Todd was going to Google that so he could get a look-see at it because I'd like to get your opinion of the aesthetics. Um, so just a couple quick thoughts from uh, from my standpoint. I did watch the event. Uh, I am a geek. And I have to say, one of the, one of the, my biggest issues with any type of reveal and or kind of e3 when they have their each you know nintendo xbox and uh, or microsoft and sony have their their uh, reveal uh i want to say reveal party but there's a better better word for it um it, it's always just an awkward situation where you've got an audience that all they want to see is video game trailers and details about the new console you have online viewers that just want to see trailers and and content about the new console that's coming out but somewhere there's somebody making a a ton of money and basically they decide that no no we should have cuts from the audience to the stage and show a trailer and then bring somebody out from the program team to talk about how great it is and let's make sure that because this is a broadcast in a live environment that somebody that's not used to speaking in public and just is dying to get off stage as they read through whatever's on the teleprompter. The only person that's successfully been able to introduce a game and make the crowd go wild was Keanu Reeves when Cyberpunk, Cyberpunk what is it, 2077, 2027 or something, was announced at E3 a couple years back. 
So I say all of that with everything going on with COVID-19, it's now kind of a remote event. So what did we get? We got trailers and information about the console and very, 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 very short interviews with people that are directly involved with the game. Now, real quick, I want the kind listener to know, I understand there's just a lot of work and a lot of people that put in a ton of hours in producing these games and they're very, very important. I just have to have my producer hat on when I'm when I'm writing the script or putting together what that show's gonna feel like. And this felt a lot cleaner and a lot nicer just because we didn't have to f- suffer through those um, through those moments of awkwardness when they have them come on stage. And I will be willing to bet And if you work in the video game industry and you want to counter me on this or agree, please feel free to email us, info at theotherkindradio.com. I am willing to bet that the people that end up having to go on stage and talk about the game don't want to do that. These are people that program. You know, they they want their art to speak for, you know, the, the, the hard work and effort that goes into it. So that's more on the event. But we did get to see what the new PlayStation is going to look like. We don't have a price point yet, um, but I do want to throw it over to Todd real quick. He's got it up on his computer. Uh, kind listeners at home, if, if you can, pull it up. And I'd love to get your thoughts of what your initial impression of the boxes, maybe a description. Well, they have the picture of it, and I will say this. So I, I, I'm sorry, let me step back and say I am an Xbox person, and that is simply because initially it's it had games or something i wanted to play i could not see buying two consoles and you know jeff and i've even had this conversation before where i'm like i just i i am not at the point in my life where i want to have two consoles what i want is one central console that can let me game but also allow me to see all the media that i want um I will say that just the look of the Sony box compared to the new Xbox. Wow. It's a beautiful box. The design of it, the aesthetic is gorgeous. Um, however, it does have a blue light that I'm like, okay, well, when you have a projection screen, I don't want any blue lights in my room that are (laughs) casting off things. But what I'm taken by, you know, and I read through a couple of, uh, of the press releases is the predominance of the performance of the box over what is the box is going to provide almost to what you're saying that most of these releases are uh, these uh, video release things that they do where they don't give the consumer what they want. What I'm taken by is that time and again, it, t- it comparatively tells me about how the PS4 had cool cooling fan issues where it could not switch between games to screens fast enough because it would have to kick up the fan. And that, that's something that they, you know, you're, you're taking a big computer and squashing it into a tiny box. So that is a relevant issue. But I'm surprised. I'm surprised that Sony would make this information what it pushed to the press for the press to release. Because what I did, what I have liked about Xbox's approach is, yeah, they'll talk about, hey, we're putting a lot of new guts in. Or this is going to be a significant leap. We're going to, but then it begins to be our 4k uhd video will will offer a new type of compression that's going to make that even a better experience and it starts telling you and we we want every game to be available we want all these things because what we want is for you not to feel like you have to buy a new box but if you're taking that step here we are and it all bridges together none of that appears in sony everything about sony's is just technicalities and how this is a big new very powerful box. So that's my initial impression by this. 
as it was being res- revealed, uh, people online were commenting that it looks like a router. Um, so it kind of has that same rectangular um, shape that that uh, definitely the the two and the three had. Um, and then it just looks like it has some corners that if you left it on a heater, kind of melted and, and dipped a bit. Two things real quick to go ahead. What's that? They're prettier than that. Just a little bit. They're, they're <laughs> but you're right. It does. It's funny. Once you said that, I thought it, it does look like a router. And I wonder why with these things, you know, with, with a stack of equipment that you may have in a TV room, yeah. uh, my receiver is a big black rectangle. Why did these things have to be, futuristic looking why can't they just be nice streamlined things that that maybe have some pretty lights or something on them but why do they have to be all flared and everything like this i'm right. sorry i interrupt no 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 interruption um and it'll be interesting because the new xboxes is basically just a rectangle um and that's about it uh so uh i do agree i mean todd and i we've we've been around long enough i've seen the 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 fight between xbox and sony and sony's been you know kicking for a long time and um i you know i'll i'm i'm a game fan so when i have somebody ask me if i'm an xbox or playstation or pc i'm just like hey if the game is only available like the last of us which is only available on playstation then i'm gonna you know do my best to get a playstation to play because the last of us is being released here um i think in less than 10 days the last of us 2 and The Last of Us for the Kind Listener um, is one of my favorite video games story-wise that I've ever played. Uh, but a quick things to, a couple things. Go ahead, yes. The news that the guys that made Chernobyl are making a film of The Last of Us? Yes. No, I, did, I just made me think of that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, there. no, I'm, and I'm going to be so ready to see that. Um, so just a couple things. One, um, you can. there's two different versions of it. There's one that comes with a drive, and with a like a Blu-ray drive, and one that doesn't my limited brain capacity still wonders why we're using discs at all it should all be digital uh, but i also understand there may be some possibility of some backward compatibility so if you have your older games on disc then i completely understand uh why uh a disc would be important uh but real quick uh, spec wise you're looking at um an amd zen 2 cpu uh, AMD's RDNA 2-based GPU for, for graphic processing coupled with 16 gig of RAM and an 825 gigabyte uh, SSD solid state drive. There are some accessories like an HD camera, some Pulse 3D headphones, and 3D audio, which Sony is, is touting. And there's supposed to be something new with their controller that is a... Uh, there's going to be more of a feel if you're playing a game where you're drawing a bow and arrow you're going to feel that tension in the trigger when you pull it, which I, I think that's kind of cool. Um, but it was, you know, again, it, it was really interesting to, to see a lot of the games that are available, just like the initial Xbox event, which was absolutely horrible. So congrats to Sony on, on actually putting together a decent uh, show. Um, none of the games that we watched or were promised or hinted at being shown the actual graphic resolution of the game for this hardware was available and a lot of the gameplay wasn't available so it was kind of just like the xbox event in the sense that you just kind of saw a lot of game trailers which is cool but we still don't know really what the hardware and what the games are going to look like uh for these next gen consoles so will uh, you have any thoughts on that feel free to reach out to us if you if you're a gamer 
Uh, for those kind of listeners listening, you can always hit us up at 214-843-1149, 214-843-1149, and give us your thoughts on that. So that's Sony's new console reveal. We'll keep you up to date on the other kind radio as further details come out. We're going to go ahead and continue on in the green room now and talk a little bit about a movie that just turned 40. And when a movie that was one of your favorite movies turns 40, it makes me realize I'm getting gold. Um, the movie, of course, we're talking about is The Empire Strikes Back. Um, one of the articles that caught my eye, there was a bunch of, there's a bunch of articles out there. I encourage the kind of listener to go out there and do a Google search and, and uh, read them. But the one that I liked and I want to kind of bring up to Todd was uh, The Empire Strikes Back had an epic twist. Would it have worked in 2020? Hmm. So it's, it's when you tell me you want to bring this up, I was super excited because, number one, this is one of my favorite films of all time of the Star Wars films. I'm very happy to say that while I may love A New Hope more just because of what it did for me as a 10 year old kid and, and opened my mind. Empire was the movie that made me go, whoa, yeah, take this and make it that, you know, it, these two films evolved my little brain. Um, the, the twist in question, it, it's funny you bring this up because there's a, a podcast I listen to called script notes. It's a couple of guys that actually are screenwriters that help break down screenplays and really might be a, something you want to listen to too, Jeff. I know you, you're interested in that kind of thing. And what they do is they'll often take the original first draft and then compare it to the final release. And so they had Lawrence Kasdan on, they did this through a zoom call. Um, they, they, they do this usually live in front of hundreds of people. So they did it where hundreds of people could watch zoom. But what they did was they got Lawrence Kasdan who famously would handwrite his scripts and mm -hmm. turn them over to the typist and they read the original stuff. And sometimes you're like, wow, this is what this is. And that's what it is. But the thing with one thing that was true is, and Lawrence said, Listen, George, I just delivered Raiders of the Lost Ark. George said, I'm in a pickle because Lee Brackett, who was the screenwriter, uh, original screenwriter for Empire, had just become incredibly sick and she would go on to die very shortly after. Mm. And he said, I, I need somebody to write this. Would you write it? And he said, oh, and, and by the way, it's 40 years on. Can I, can I say the twist? And no, we yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> I think we're okay. So he says, I need you to do this. And by the way, Darth Vader is Luke's father. You know that, right? And Lawrence Kazan sat there and thought, said, I looked at George, who I'm still thinking, he hasn't even read my first script. Why does he want me to write this one? Yeah. And I, all I could think was, whoa, this is going to be a different movie. <laughs> and, you know, Lawrence Kazan famously would be the one to go on to, he, he developed Yoda's weird speech pattern. Great screenwriter. If you don't know Lawrence Kazan fantastic uh, jeff and i have both watched the film accidental tourist which he he adapted and directed a very good filmmaker um this all gets to the point of i wonder about that twist if it could be withheld now um here's the cool thing about that twist the guy that says the line is in a helmet and pretty famously uh on the set they had david prowse who played darth vader say obi-wan killed your father and they had told Mark Hamill what was really going to be there. He, Mark Hamill was the only one that knew. I think maybe because of that, you could get away with this. Maybe because you're going to over. Now, once that overdub occurs, now you got all these other people that you're like, you got to shut up now. But the thing is, we still get some twist that they hold on to and they can do it. I think they could get away with this now. I think. 
I can't guarantee, but it seems like there are a lot of factors where you could maybe even say that is the last dub that you do in the film and you just bring on the core essential people that need to know. Right. Uh, And I I failed to mention this article is on discreet.com. For your discreet news, go to discreetnews.com. And it says here uh, in the article is a read it. The list of people who knew about Darth Vader was limited. Mark Hamill, who played Luke Skywalker, was the third person to learn about it, aside from director Irvin Kirshner and George Lucas. James Earl Jones learned later the truth when recording voiceover work for Vader. Both sound mixers and editors learned about that, too. So so you had the crew not learning, or I shouldn't say the crew, but, but, but I guess both the crew and actors learning about it as they were doing their work. Um, I am going to say that I think the chances of it surviving would be much less now. Um, because back then we didn't have the news outlets that we do now, the TMZs, everything else that could have offered a lot of money to somebody that probably wasn't making a lot of money for that information. Um, I'm glad that it remained it. I always love a good surprise in a movie. Um, but I think that it was the perfect... For the time. And you know what? In, in all honesty, now that I give it a little more thought, I think George Lucas and, their, and those cats could have found, even in, even in a modern era, an easier way to, or a way that worked to keep this secret. I mean, you look at what, you know, Game of Thrones arguably becomes as huge a cultural landmark as empire does and had numerous times where shocking things happened and even shocking things that were from the books yeah. and you had a whole community that said don't tell the tv watchers what happens don't yeah. ruin this you're right and i think you can um it's going to be it's going to really depend on the love that people have for this. And I think that, that famously Harrison Ford turned to Mark Hamill when they saw the premiere. And that's when Harrison Ford found out. And he's like, did you know about this? <laughs> Mark was like nodding and, you know, Harrison so, Ford sounds like George, uh, or, uh, uh, George Clinton sounds like, uh, George, uh, uh, Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton. When you said, do you know about this? Well, I did not know Darth Vader. What's your father? That's horrible. Sorry. <laughs> well, and the funny thing is it created a lot of animosity too, because David Prowse had, who played Darth Vader had a lot of issues where he had given, uh, interviews after star Wars, you know, and he was already insulted. They didn't use his voice, which if you ever want to see something funny, go watch the original footage before his voice is overdubbed. Um, and he has a very, more of a high pitched right. kind of thing. <laughs> get the ship and bring them to me. You know, it does not, even if you rolled in some bass and yeah. it ain't going to work. Um, but apparently in an interview, he said something akin to, you know, maybe Darth Vader is Luke's father or something to that. I'm not quoting that perfectly. Well, George already knew that. And mm-hmm. if you go read the original screenplay and they've made this into a comic book called the star Wars, and you want to see something, the evolution of something, fathers and sons and family are a very deep recurring theme of what George wanted to tell. Right. So that was there, but David Prowse, then whenever he heard they overdubbed it and that was it, he, he then felt slighted that they'd not allowed him to say it. So the, the, the production, yes, like screw you. Yeah. Are you getting a lot of money and you probably made a lot of residual money on this. Be quiet. And he could walk down the street. I mean, I know they've released some pictures of, you know, the man under the mask 
since then, but one of the biggest faces in film history was didn't have to deal with the paparazzi, right? Because they just wanted to see Darth Vader with his helmet on. So, well, that's the irony of it. When you when you want to deal with the paparazzi and you can't because right. they don't know who you are, then what do you do? You start telling things you shouldn't tell. Exactly. Oh, there you go. Yep. Case in point. Anyway, um, very thing and i'm glad you brought that up jeff yeah you know 40 years thank you and real quick before we move on and, and we're gonna we're gonna save a news story because we're getting deep into the broadcast here and we've got to go over the king of staten island uh, we'll save the story about a man that's been receiving pizzas he didn't order for almost a decade we'll save that for next week uh, but the last thing is you know the biggest plot twist for the game of throws for me was that season eight was going to be pure, pure <laughs> That was that was a really big surprise for me. I mean, so a friend of mine called, and I, I, had, he's one of those people, and I, and I love this guy, but he'll <clears throat> he'll text me, "Hey, what should I be watching?" Well, I don't know. You know, I'm struggling for things to watch too. And I told him a thousand times that and this was prior to season eight. Watch Game of Thrones; it's great. I mean, it's smart. <laughs> it's characters, you know, stabbing each other in the back. And if you do that later on, I'm going to get you back. But I'm going to do it in such a clever way. So he he texts me. He's like. You got a minute. <laughs> like, I said, what's up? I'm texting. He's like, finish Game of Thrones. Just need to talk. And I was like, uh oh. So get on the phone with him. I said, okay, before, let's not talk the final season. What'd you think up to then? He was like, I'm having a real hard time divorcing myself from it. And I said, well, wait, a year from now, you'll, you'll be able to look and go, wow, really good, really crappy. <laughs> but even he said it, you know, he's like, it just feels like all of a sudden they kind of quit thinking. Yeah. And that, that is the greatest plot twist, Jeff. Boy, you got me down a rabbit hole there. But that, that's what we it. need. To, let's do a podcast one time about plot twists and sure. things that unexpected, whether that be production issues, etc. That's an interesting, interesting conversation. I'm going to take out the typewriter and start. Uh, there we go. Make that note right now. Um, that was news headlines and everything. You're only you're listening to the other kind of radio. That was the green room with headlines, some other stories. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move everybody over to the center stage now because we want to spend the rest of the uh, broadcast talking about a movie that's come out during this whole time of um, you know social distancing and and uh, COVID nineteen and everything. And I was really excited about this movie coming out. First of all, because Judd Apatow. Apatow is a uh, director that I like. Uh, I like his stories. I like the way he kind of brings things about. It also features Pete Davidson, um, who of Saturday Night Live fame has had, uh, you know, kind of a headline-ish career. Uh, It also features Bill Burr, who is a a comedian that I've followed for a while and looking forward to, and of course, the lovely Marissa Tomei. Um, From the initial... Uh, previews and everything this looks like it's uh, a bit of a uh, dramedy a drama and comedy and about a young guy trying to uh, kind of figure out what life's all about so that's the king of staten island and uh, i'll read the i forgot what you called the log note which is uh, scott has been in a case of arrested development since his firefighter dad died he spends his days smoking weed and dreaming of being a tattoo artist tattoo artist until events force him to grapple with his grief and take steps um take take this first steps forward in life uh before we get too deep into it um you should know that Pete Davidson uh, lost his father, who was also a firefighter in 9-11. This movie does not take place during 9-11. 
Uh, but it also is somewhat biographical, and he's mentioned that in a couple interviews that there's you know were some dark days and some things he was dealing with. Um, so before we get into the thoughts of the actual film, I want to ask Todd about the fact that a big eye opener for me was before the movie even started. The movie was released for video on demand uh, this previous Friday. Very shocked to see the price. Even more shocked to see that it's rental. My question to you is, how much of this was an Apatow call, or do you think this was 100% studio, and they're just trying to figure out how to make some money? For the kind listener, just so you know, uh, to watch the movie, it's $20, $19.99, but it's, you don't own it. It is a rental. So I spent $20, and if I wanted to come back and watch it later this week, I would not be able to do so. Todd? So that's 100% studio. A hundred percent studio. And I say that with all certainty because number one, I've read a couple of things about how are we going to make our money back on things that are going straight to video. Um, the examples of this, and I told Jeff, there was the recent film, the invisible man, which is a a modern remake of the classic universal invisible man, but from a a me too perspective. And I'd wanted to see it because Elizabeth Moss is is a part of it. I think she's a very good actress, very interesting. I had heard a lot of their perspectives and I kept thinking, I want to watch this, but I would go in, it would be $20. And I thought, I, in fact, I think there's just 20 99 almost 21 bucks. And I thought, I really want to see it. I don't want to pay that. Now, that's when I started looking and I thought, oh, this makes sense. Why also when Parasite, the Academy Award winning film came out and I wanted to be able to see it, I was not going to be able to get out, but it was available on home video and I saw for 20 bucks. And I thought, fine, I'll pay for that and, and, and just own it, even if I don't like it. Right. Well, guess what? I paid for it. I didn't. Months later, I came back and was like, I, I kind of want to watch that again. Right. And it's not catalog anymore. And I realized that I had it for a rental. And that was it. Now, what they did, I think, is a model that's smarter. You got it for, I think, two weeks. And then it went away. Not until yeah. you started watching. You're talking about the, the king of uh, Staten Island? I'm talking about Parasite. Uh, Parasite allowed for two weeks. King of Staten Island is a two-day rental that I got through DirecTV. Two days. Because I thought, number one, I, you know, I knew I needed to watch it before we recorded this. So I, right. That wasn't relevant. But I thought, two days. I I get why you're charging me that because what you're saying is were I to go to the movies, my ticket's probably what 12 bucks. Right. Like that. Okay. I get that you can't just charge me 12 bucks because then I could have 10 people over to watch the movie in my house and you've only made the money for one person. You don't want to charge me 24 bucks because if I'm only one person, it's not fair. So you kind of go the middle ground and charge me a full robust $20. That's how you're going to make your box office. Right. I, get this it just seems like a very poor idea that there's nothing on the back end that says by the way you did pay the 20 bucks to see this new release when it comes out on video we're going to give you a 75 percent off discount something like that that yeah. says we value that you were one of the ones with us right instead it's, a, it's kind of a screw you which is hey it's 20 and it, by the way when it comes out and you want to own it it's 17 right well then i'm just going to wait for later right bad 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 model that i understand why you're trying to figure out and i do think this will change because i do think the one thing we're going to see with covid is covid is going to change our consumption patterns of media like this yeah they're just going to have to figure out something to where people like you and i don't feel as though we've gotten the middle finger 
when we jumped to the head of the class and wanted to watch it. I um, I appreciate your comments, comments, and I agree with you 100%. So I won't just uh, regurgitate what you said. Uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see where this goes. Um, you know, and it's almost like it's funny because I, I was more angry with Judd Apatow than anything. Um, but realizing it's not his fault and not his call. But I will be interested to see where this goes because $20 is a lot of money. And I'm just wondering, especially now with these times and everything, how many people were just like you wanting with uh, with Invisible Man that wanted to see it because it was being, you know, splashed, marketed everywhere. And just for those people going, do I have $20 that I could throw at a something that I'm going to watch and consume and then don't own anything of? I mean, it's and I know I watched the movie um, two and a half times in the short time that I had available. Um but that was, to me, the first kind of sour, bitter taste when it came to the experience, right? The new experience of uh, seeing a movie being released on, on demand. I do think that studios might come back to my point and say, yeah, well, you go to a theater and pay full yeah. price. And then if you want to buy it, you pay full price for it. Why should we do this? Right. This is different. You, I've, I have done it at my house. You do not. Here's the difference. Hollywood, you are not paying to distribute digital copies to theaters. You're not paying the, the license fees to play inside the theater. You are being greedy. You're not realizing that your model has changed due to technology. You're wanting your profits to stay the same. And you're not considering that what I did was to give you my $20 in my house where I made my own popcorn, where right. I cleaned my own theater afterwards. You're <laughs> not thinking. Yeah. This is not the same. And I'm sorry that you want to believe that your world is never going to change. That is not true. Most businesses have to evolve and it's time for you to evolve. Right. All right. So that was the initial uh, experience of at least getting to see the King of Staten Island. Uh, it's currently sitting on IMDb with a current score of 7.2. Um, in our remaining moments here, let's go ahead and get into the film itself. Uh, I'll be opening it up to you, Todd. Initial thoughts. Now, Todd and I have not talked about this prior to what we're getting ready to do, do so right now. So this will be this will be fresh news for both of us. So, Todd, tell us your thoughts. So, like you, I really like Judd Apatow. I first experienced him with Freaks and Geeks, and I've I've kind of casually followed him. I will see a lot of his things. There are things that I've avoided and, and things that he's produced, but I'm very interested by him. I think he's a very smart, very funny man. Um, I've not cared for Pete Davidson. I never thought he was that funny. He doesn't do much for me. Kind of just to me plays a smarter than stupid buffoon. I guess if, if that makes sense saying that, um, my initial thoughts as I began watching the first hour of it are, wow, it's kind of charming. I kind of like this. And then it, it hits a point of, for me of which it felt like, the film wasn't escalating and, and, you know, to, to say a film escalates, you have to have a dramatic push that says this character is either going to stay in their same place forever and the world around them pushes away from them, or that character has something to evolve them. So they will change and realize that it's time for me to join the world instead of letting pass by. I, I like many of the things and the choices about what happens to this character. It just felt like this film perhaps was about 20 minutes too long that it needed its character to begin to understand or felt left behind more. Instead, he, he sees things like his sister going to college, his mother joining into a new love affair, which I think is very interesting. And apparently was what finally got Chad Apatow to make Pete Davidson write this. He's, he was talking, they were, they knew each other and he said something like, 
you know, my mother started dating or wanting to start dating. And Jed Apatow said, what would happen if your mom dated a firefighter? It's a pretty interesting thing to somebody like this that, hey, somebody just like your father went through the same thing that has the same jeopardy. It's a very interesting idea. It's just for me that as I watch it, I needed that push for the character to, in this case, grow up. I needed for it to happen about 15, 20 minutes faster because I kept thinking, okay, I get it that he feels all this and doesn't it doesn't feel right for him he can't move he can't do this but it was too much and there was no escalation it never it never incrementally got worse instead and i think this is one of the sweeter parts of the film he ends up bonding with two small children and i think it's actually really sweet and it made me look at Pete davis and go okay he's kind of sweet in a goofy way and i get it i just i it just needed another script rewrite it needed another edit it's good. It's not great. Uh, very well put. And um, I always ask you to go first because it's easier for me to, uh, while you're talking, kind of think about how I'm going to position myself. <laughs> um, like being a sacrificial lamb. But 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 uh, I'm I'm riding in line with you. I will say this: I think The King of Staten Island is a great movie, but I wouldn't consider it a film. Um, this movie. If you fit for me, what what designates the difference between the two? Again, um, want to reiterate that you know the crew and and cast and everything did a great job, and and I'll get into that in just a second. But I think it you know it tells a story, but it easily could have been you know broken up and and been kind of a television series and than anything if you wanted to. Maybe not a not a twelve episode, but maybe a six or eight. Uh, because really, what this for me became was a collection of fish out of water um, type moments. Um, where they're trying to rob the um, the uh, pharmacy. Uh, a very funny scene for me because Pete Davidson is the lookout and he's trying to contact the guys to see how the heist is going. And so he starts texting and, and calling them and each one of the different friends he has, this kind of goofball gang that he's in, um has the you know some some pop culture references as far as the ringtones and whatnot uh which for me was funny but i found myself like you watching and kind of waiting for something to happen and then i rewatched it and i started breaking down scenes because i'm trying to learn more about how a film's put together and todd has uh so kindly been kind of a mentor to me and I know that most movies are right around 60 scenes, uh, and you want to make sure your 30th happens right about at the uh, halfway film uh, uh, halfway point of the film. So I went through and looked at it, and the second time I viewed it, I noticed that there that the majority of the movie, up until the last 15 scenes or so, was all kind of backstory and kind of prep. Like this movie kind of runs into the same thing, like you were saying about game of thrones it wasn't that they weren't thinking but it just tidies up real quick it seems like we spent a lot of time and from my point of view learning about pete davidson's character and then the resolution happens real quick as quick as a, a ride on the staten island ferry takes you know there's kind of like this buttoning up of this that and the other and i agree with you the the mother has a great character arc and a res you know learns something and moves forward uh, Bill Burr's character has a similar arc as well as that. And it just felt like our main character was kind of left blowing in the wind as far as um, 
what kind of person he's going to walk away as differently from what it was, right? It's a story. So I, I say mo- I say movie and not film also because um, the pacing in it, uh, I, I likened it to, and, I, and this is how I was trying to justify some of my thinking, Breakfast Club. Um, that's a movie that takes place in basically one location and still has enough dialogue and enough of a storyline where I feel like there's much more movement and conclusion uh, than this movie. Um, but 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 again, I, uh, just to run through the cast, I, I do think Pete Davidson was was good. I mean, he's kind of a snarky smartass, so he's kind of, you know, that character didn't, for me, didn't move too far away from who he may be in real life. Marissa Tomei is just Marissa Tomei. She's wonderful. She's absolutely fantastic. Um, Bill Burr, I wanted, after seeing his performance in Mandalorian, I wanted to, to label him as, you know, eh, maybe film's not really your deal. But I thought his efforts were genuine, and um, I thought he was uh, pretty good. And, and kudos to the kids, the two kids that played in it, because they had some funny lines and were able to do well. Um, Steve Buscemi. Uh, is in it and of course he's just you know wonderful uh he not many new may know but steve buscemi used to be a firefighter in new york and actually uh quit his career i think around the 90s to become a full-time film uh actor and then after 9 11 he went back and tried to help i forget what ladder he was in in nyc but um you know i so again it's i i know the uh the podcast producer me wants to have a, a movie at some point where we see it really differently. But I agree with a lot of things you said. I'm trying not to repeat everything you just said uh, in my my comments. Um, you know, and again, I, I have such a soft spot. I, I don't want to I don't want to poo poo on this movie. It's not a bad movie. Like you said, I recommend people watch it um, if you have the twenty dollars to do so and are OK, knowing that you're not going to own it. But I concur with you. In the sense that it felt like it needed maybe more of a rewrite, uh, editing, and and just something else to kind of act as a catalyst for for some change. Because the scenes that that kind of start show Pete Davidson's character with some added perception, some added um, appreciation for what's going on around him, were done pretty to me subtly, and you really have to kind of be looking at it. So again we're 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 in lockstep here i i think that that what kind of surprised me is usually when you have this character a stunted growth character uh and i find it interesting that they use the term arrested development in their mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly that why is his development arrested because his father died when he was seven in a tragic manner that he's never felt comfortable with that that you know while marissa tebame who you are so right is just has become one of my very favorite actresses. She can, you know, it's her, but she can step in and give you a little something different about every performance she has. She's always interesting, but her character for, it gets told by the Bill Burr character. You've, you've done as great a job as you could with him, but we all know she hasn't. We all know that she's ignored something that's never really talked about. I felt like there should be a come to Jesus scene between the two of them where she's like, I I, I failed you somehow if you can't. And instead there's an awkward moment later on where she's moved on and she's drinking and she pushes him out of the house. While it's kind of funny. I still thought 
why isn't he upset by this? Why mm-hmm. is he why is he not being changed here when he sees his mother shove him aside? That's a fine thing. Make a parent be that way. That's interesting, but there's no reaction to it. His sister goes to college. He goes to visit her. He's largely unaffected by the difference he he should see in himself when he's there and her that she's gone. We should see him tortured. You, you think of the graduate, even with that, where Benjamin has all these things happen around him, yet he remains unfazed by it. But because we have such a deep script and a deep actor, we know we can see in his eyes whenever the world is too much. We don't see that here. And when the culmination happens now, I did I, like you, I thought the the pop culture references to the ringtones, especially the one for the very short actor who I found out, God, he's really like four eleven. He's yeah. a teeny tiny. Um, his ringtone made me goof off. I was, I yeah. mean, I was laughing loudly. Yeah. I found even what they choose to do, which becomes the catalyst for the end of the film for the change that will occur with the actor. What they choose to do is almost, I felt like it was from another movie. Yeah. yeah. didn't feel that they had that malicious intent, intent to do something like that, even stupidly. And I thought this doesn't work. Um, very, and, and, very rando to me as far as just like, yeah, yeah. If anything, I can almost see them doing it and, you know, somebody making a joke like, dude, we aren't playing, you know, uh, Grand Theft Auto here. And then they decide to do something more bumbling idiot. I would have I would have bought that. But the, the thing I want to say, and I will not give away what this is, but for the character at the end of the film, and I, I think it's a right choice. He finds someone that's meant something in his life and he tells them how he feels. I think that's important for this character because he's not, the, the truth is of a character like this, you've not allowed yourself to feel because you're afraid of feeling it. Right. He never, never in the script alludes to that. That's how he feels about this girl. Oh, I just said something. I didn't mean to Sorry. When he, this person at the end of the film. He is, we've never seen anywhere that she means anything more to him than just yep. sex. Yeah. And suddenly when his change happens, I thought, okay, where's that scene? One scene, that's one scene is all it takes where maybe he's talking to Bill Burr and Bill Burr says, isn't there anybody you feel something about, you know, maybe somebody that you you've been afraid to say something to you've lived your life. So afraid go tell them, right. Ding, open the gate and it goes, but that scene makes no sense. And I, I thought I want to love this moment. And that's how I felt about this film over and over again. I want to love things about it. And I didn't, I liked it. I didn't love it. I could definitely see this, and and of course, you know, I I, I want to think that Judd gave um, Pete some room because obviously he's he's this is basically him laying a lot of his personal feelings and experiences on the line. And I think I think when you write and put together a movie like that, you should be allotted a little bit of wiggle room on some of that because obviously for him to go back through all of this would be very difficult. Um, there was an article that uh, Catherine told me about um, that the scene where they uh, after the, one of the their firemen. So there's a fire. We're, we're Chris, uh, Chris, Todd and I are trying to do a very uh, good job right here. Not spoiling the movie. First of all, there's no huge plot turns. We're just not wanting to give everything away. So uh, you some of this catches you uh, by surprise like it did us. But there is a scene after a fire where there's Pete Davidson and a bunch of other firefighters and they're sitting around and they're telling stories about Pete Davidson's father's character. Um, and, uh, I guess on, on set, they actually invited Pete, a lot of Pete Davidson's real father's 
firefighter friends to come on set and just hang out. And they thought it would be really good, you know, for to share stories. And actually the opposite happened. Um, it was really, they were really, really, really sad and mm. ended up leaving. Um, and in some ways this film kind of echoes that too. There are funny parts. Pete Davidson, I, I think uh, got some funny in him. And, uh, you know, again, the, some of the scenes are very well written and very funny. Um, but it's, it, it is that fine line when your movie opens with the main character taking his own life into his own hands in, in a certain circumstance. And then you're quickly, you know, it's fart jokes and, and knock, knock who's there, you know, kind of in your face humor about what happened. Um, I think, I think, I think it can leave the audience still trying to figure out or be comfortable with what is funny and, and what is pain. If you look at a movie like Jojo rabbit who takes Hitler and creates a character that in the end you're you're laughing with right because you and i talked about at that point in the film you're like i'm kind of laughing at this is this okay and does a masterful job of trying to progress that um again uh i'm glad this movie came out i'm glad pete davidson had an opportunity to kind of share and work through some of the things that he happened uh, but at the end of the day, kind listeners, uh, you know, Todd and I, we have to put on our hats and uh, our what, what hat? Uh, uh, critic hat. And, you know, kind of give you guys some insight. As always, if you see this film and feel differently, we highly encourage you to go ahead and give us a call or email us and let us know your thoughts. Because we're just two guys with, you know, our own opinions. Todd's the one that's got the actual film uh background and knowledge i'm just an idiot that that you know tries to put fancy words together and, and give some some credit and trying to get better as far as uh my understanding of film but uh it just again and in, in, in all honesty feel free to let us know um so for me my final thought is yeah if you've recently you know move some furniture around or maybe you uh you know during covid you're going through the garage and you come across that penny jar and and uh, find some change or or just have an extra 20 bolt you know burning a hole in your pocket uh check it out it's it's not a bad it's not a bad movie i think uh you're i, I want to jump back real quick your sure. point of the opening of the film and what he takes his life into his own hands and that is almost that pain is never really seen again right we we experience it there that should have at least happened one more time somewhere in the middle of the film it should have been that what when that character does it if, if you and i were constructing that script jeff i would and you said hey what if the film opens and he's doing this great interesting idea this is a character who's in pain what happened right before it right what led him to that moment so because you can have all these things and you can you can go through life but something's triggered that pain. There should have been another moment where he's doing almost that same kind of thing. We should have echoed it again. That should have been the things that's what this film's missing. So I'm going to say, if you find that penny jar and you're thinking, Hey, I really need two hours of something new. There are a ton of classic films that will knock you out and go spend your $20 <laughs> and own that film. Wait for this to come on rental and be really happy that you went, Hey, five bucks pretty good movie for five bucks yeah. for 20 people are going to leave thinking, wow, this, well, it's funny. And there are times that are very funny. Mm -hmm. 
you're going to think this is kind of just a disjointed mess. And even I even think that, that the final shot of the film is an interesting shot. Were you to visually set these things up for me? It felt so randomly pulled from what you want. It did. That it did not earn its place in the film. It did. Very well said. That's the King of uh, Staten Island, Jed Apatow's film featuring Pete Davidson. I also uh, want to make sure we mention Belle uh, Powley, who kind of plays his love interest. She's very good and does some, uh, some great things as far as uh, delivering kind of how she's feeling. Marissa Tomei, again, uh, fantastic. Uh, if you uh, want some interesting reviews, go to imdb.com and read it because some of them, uh, some of the lower reviews are, are remind me of what I see on Yelp, which is a restaurant that gets one star because the seats weren't comfortable. Um, if you are going to form an opinion on the movie, make sure you, you kind of give it an all around like Todd and I have attempted to do today. Uh, look for the bright spots, but also be aware of where things could uh, improve. Uh, that's going to kind of start wrap things up for the show. I'm going to turn over to Todd real quick for any final thoughts that he's got, and then we'll get you out of here. And my final thoughts are, thank God, though, that there was something new and interesting to watch out there. And I will tell you, because I did mention I finally did get to see Invisible Man. Very good movie for five bucks. Uh, pretty interesting me to take on a classic horror film. That would be my recommendation. Mm. If you want to spend something, there's your five bucks. It's fun. It is a little scary in places. I was going to so ask you, is it is it Jeff approved? Is it scarier than it? Can I watch it? It's going to have it, it's not going to have the creepy factor of a clown that's going to eat your head. Okay. But it, it definitely has moments where you're like, oh, God. Okay. So mm. it's a fun film and it's an interesting take on a classic horror film. Thank you so much, Todd. Well said. If you've interested me, I'll probably will try and watch it because I'm looking for new content as well. Uh, well, that's going to do it, kind listener. You spent another week, our uh, 90th episode with The Other Kind Radio. For Todd myself, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us, hanging out with us. Uh, as always. I got it on the wrong sound. There we go. Uh, as always, feel free to email us info at theotherkindradio.com. We appreciate everybody's support. I do want to do a real quick shout out. Uh, this past week, um, we've had quite a few international listeners. So hello, United Kingdom. Uh, Sheffield, United Kingdom was listening. We had some people from, from Ireland listening, maybe listening to the uh, real people, real us, whatever uh, thing on Amazon that I can't remember. Uh, but again, thank you for your support. Uh, and uh, we look forward to, to continuing this to 100 episodes. Have a good week. We'll be back next week. I don't know what we're going to talk about yet, but I'll try and post something. But in the meantime, just remember, we are The Other Kind Radio. The Other Kind Radio. Radio. The Other Kind of Radio.